Good morning. Morning to everybody at Bensville. Hopefully you're tuning in right about now. And hello to everybody who's tuning in online, wherever you might be, and whatever point throughout the week that you're you're joining us and tuning in, you've joined us at week six. Can you believe it? Week six in our series in Ephesians being the church. We are halfway, halfway in our series and we've come to a pretty important point in this letter and things are about to change. So by way of a little bit of a, of a recap, bringing back into mind where we've come from over the last number of weeks, we've heard from Paul who I think at times has seemed almost giddy, falling over himself as he's writing to this Ephesian church, to the Gentile church, about the abundance of God's grace. Letting them know, reminding them, telling them that they are loved, that they're chosen, that they've been adopted into the family of God, that they are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. That they've been rescued from sin, they've been rescued from death, they've been made alive. They've been made alive with spiritual power, with authority, unified, one in Christ. All the divisions, all the categories have gone. And the context, the, the container of all of these promises in Christ is the church. It's his body. It's this new and eternal community of God right here on earth and you're included. It's not just for the Jews and that this was the Father's mysterious plan all along. And not only are we included, but we are also agents of this plan and we're bearing witness to it even in the heavenly realms. This is the spiritual foundation of the church that Paul has been laying uh, before launching into the second part of this letter. What we're going to see in the, in the next few weeks as we jump into chapters 4 through to 6 is our lived response to this grace. What life and what community and what family ought to look like in the light of everything that Christ has done and that Christ is doing, the practical outworking, if you like, of the first three chapters. Before we get there, though, today's passage, which comes at the end of chapter three, is a prayer uh, by Paul for the church in Ephesus, and it serves as something of, of a hinge point. It's like a gear change in the whole letter. He, he is about to shift from, from revelation to demonstration. He's about to shift from belief to response. And so as some kind of final preparation before launching into all of that practical stuff, Paul is pleading to the Father for a spiritual revelation of this grace, grace as the deep foundation of new life in the family of God. So here's the prayer. It's Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, and I'm going to read it first from the New Living Translation. I know there's a lot of words, but we're mostly grown-ups. When I think of all this, 
I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. I'm going to read the same passage now in, in, the, in the ESV. Now, this is a little bit of a side note. Sometimes you, you might wonder why it is that we read from different translations. The ESV, the English Standard Version, is what is called a formal equivalence translation. And formal equivalence means that it's translated more word for word. It's translated more for accuracy. So the ESV, the New Revised Standard Version, your New King James, these kind of sit at this formal equivalency end. Um, Sometimes they can be a little bit tricky. The New Living Translation, which we just read, that's called a functional equivalence translation and it's translated more thought for thought, sometimes a little bit easier to read. And Bible translations generally fall somewhere on this scale between a formal equivalence and a functional equivalence. So it's helpful for us to know what it is that we're reading. And so today I'm going to be reading from both of these, the ESV and the New Living Translation. So here's the ESV. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. The New Living said, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray. Why would Paul fall to his knees? Well, we've got to remember that Paul 
is a Jew. He described himself as of the stock of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee. And so for a Jew, the concept of the Messiah, the concept of the Christ, the anointed one, was significantly political. There was a religious expectation of of military, of governmental power. The Christ would overcome these these huge problems of landlessness, of of being scattered. They would overcome the pro- he would overcome the problem of Roman occupation and would set up this everlasting Jewish government. The Messiah would be a conqueror. Well, he sure was that. But what Paul recognised was that Jesus accomplished something way bigger than anything anybody had thought or dreamed. Jesus overcame the ultimate obstacle of sin and that meant he he overcame the obstacle of separation between God and human and that meant that he even overcame death. Jesus accomplished new life everlasting life, everlasting government, everlasting peace. Jesus accomplished everlasting unity between us and even between us and God. And Jesus revealed that this was God's plan right from the start. And Jesus revealed that God has accomplished all of it start to finish in Jesus. And then now... As grace, by the Spirit, all of this has been lavished upon the church. So look at this. Some more reminders of the last few weeks. Chapter 1, verse 22. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things, everywhere, with himself. In chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not, this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that nobody may boast. In chapter 2, verse 14, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles, insiders and outsiders, into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. And he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. So this was God's plan all along. We couldn't see it. The Messiah did not just achieve some some Jewish religious or political victory. Jesus changed everything. Remember this, right back at the start of chapter 1. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. In Christ, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family 
by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Adopted into one everlasting family. God's family. Embraced by everlasting love. And so for Paul, a Jew, a Pharisee, this revelation turns all of Jewish religious history and faith upside down. Even reframes all of their notions of God. For this reason, I bow my knees. I bow my knees before the Father in heaven from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now let's get clear. This is a prayer for the church. This is a prayer for the body. Now, sometimes we can, read, we can read through these letters and we can read prayers like this and we can read it through an individualistic lens and think that it's just for me. This is what God wants for me. Well, that is true only insofar as you are part of the body. This is an us prayer. Paul is praying that we, the church, would be strengthened according to the riches of his glory. Paul is praying that, that the degree of this strengthening, that, that it, it accords with, it corresponds with, in some way it's equal to the riches of God's glory. It matches the abundance of God. And, and where is God directing that abundance? He's directing it here, in me. In you, that we would be strengthened, that we would be empowered, that we would be enlivened, invigorated. Second century theologian Irenaeus of Leon is probably one of the most influential thinkers and theologians in the whole history of the church. He wrote, The glory of God. Is man fully alive? The strengthening of his children glorifies the Father. According to the riches of his glory, may he grant that you be strengthened with power. The word is dynamis, dynamic, dynamite. Strength, energy, might. The definition of the word is inherent power. It is the power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. And we are talking here about spirit power, holy spirit power, the inherent power of God. God, God power that breathes creation into existence, life-giving power. Resurrection power in your inner being. And this is important. We are not dealing with head knowledge now. We are dealing with heart revelation. Paul has shifted from teaching to praying for a reason. 
He knows that at the end of the day, the truth that everything that he's written in the last three chapters, he knows that it's a matter of revelation. Right back, or actually it was only a few verses back in in this chapter, in chapter 3, he writes, uh, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. You might might remember this when Jesus asked the disciples the who do you say that I am question uh, in Matthew 16 and then Simon Peter answered and he said, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus said, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Revelation, get this, revelation is the profound realisation of things already true. You can know something. You can, you can believe something. You can even preach something for years without revelation. But once there is a profound realisation of things already true, especially when, when there are things about God, something changes. How could I have missed it? I must have read that verse a hundred times. Right in front of me all along. For the truth of what Christ has done to make any bit of difference at all, it must be revealed in our hearts. Dallas Willard describes the heart as that spiritual place within us from, from which outlook choices and actions come. He writes this in, in Renovation of the Heart. He says, What matters most for how life goes and ought to go is what we are on the inside. Things good and bad will happen to us, of course, but what our life amounts to, at least for those who reach full age, is largely, if not entirely, a matter of what we become within. This within is the arena of spiritual formation and later transformation. Within are our thoughts, feelings, intentions and their deeper sources, whatever those may be. The life we live out in our moments, hours, days and years wells up from a hidden depth. What is in our heart matters more than anything else for who we become and what becomes of us. Our deepest sense of self, our, our assumptions and convictions about, about the world, how the world works, how the world should work. Our deep, deep beliefs about love and acceptance and about God, they come from a place that is way deeper than our logic, way deeper than our intellect. And it's this deep place that needs to be strengthened, to be transformed, and it is not transformed by information alone. Rather by revelation, by the deep work of God within us as we follow him. So Paul falls on his knees. He falls on his knees and he prays, petitioning that God by his spirit will powerfully strengthen the inner being of every believer 
He prays according to the riches of his glory. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Have you noticed the Trinitarian thread? Paul is praying to the Father that we might be strengthened by the power of the Spirit that Christ would dwell within us. And this is the Christian life. Christ within me, the hope of glory. That he might dwell, not just visit, that he might dwell in your hearts. He might settle in. He might set up his permanent home, that he might get established because this is a hospitable place. So by the Spirit, according to the will and the riches of the Father, Christ would set up home within us, in our being, through faith. And it's not our faith, by the way. We don't even have the faith of a mustard seed. Christ is the faithful one. It is by his faithfulness alone that we are saved by being united with him. Us in him, him in us. Listen to Jesus as he's, he's predicting his resurrection to the, to the disciples in John 14. You imagine hearing this. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. You could probably just finish there. <laughs> I will not abandon you. I will come to you. When I am raised to life again, you will know. You will realize. The ESV says, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. This is what it means to be a Christian. You in him, him in you. This is not an intellectual agreement with some proposition about God. This is the realisation This is the revelation that he is already in you. And everything else flows from this truth. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So Paul is pleading with the Father that we might have the inner strength to comprehend, to know this unknowable love that's within us that we would somehow get our, get our heads, that we would get our hearts around it, that we might take hold of something that is so vast, something that is so magnificent that is, it's actually beyond mortal comprehension. And it is certainly beyond individual comprehension. 
It is only as all the saints participate in this Holy Spirit project of being rooted and grounded in love that we have any sense at all of its breadth and its depth and its length and its height. Love takes all of us, the whole church, grounded in the recklessness of Christ's love. Hopefully you'll, you'll recognise this, our, our discipleship tree. We did a whole series on this last year. And if you look at the root system, if you look down below the surface, our roots are to be grounded in Jesus. In a deep place, our truth, our practice, our, our core beliefs are to be established in love, in the person of Jesus himself. And we know that it's only when the wind blows, it's only when things get tough that, that our roots are tested. It's only when we face the difficulty of, of life that we figure out what kind of soil our hearts are established in. If our heart reaction to the troubles of life is, is fear, or it's anxiety, for example, then it's telling us, it's telling us quite clearly that we are not yet rooted and grounded in love. John writes this in 1 John 4. He says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not yet been perfected in love. And this is not a love that we can conjure up. This is not a love that we can manufacture. This love comes from God. In the very next verse, John writes this. He says, we love because he first loved us. This everlasting, this abundant love that comes from God to us is so unbelievably vast that it can not run out. You cannot find its limits. You can't measure its height. You can't fathom its depths. You can't traverse its lengths. We can't make any logical sense of it. But get this, we can experience it. Just a snippet. The ESV says to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. But look at how the, the NLT says. May you experience, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. The word here to know to experience is the, is the word gnosko, and it's a relational idea. It's actually a really intimate relational idea. It's the same word that we read in Matthew 11, uh, sorry, Matthew 1, verse 24. Uh, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He's took, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This, this experiential love 
It is the intimate relational knowing of Christ. And it turns out that this is precisely what we were made for. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. New Living says, may you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand. Then you will be made complete. Fully human, fully alive. This is what we were made for. The fullness of life and power that comes from God. Complete. There's an implication here. If we are not strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being, if Christ does not dwell within us, then neither are we rooted and grounded in love, nor are we bound together with God or with each other, nor are we fully alive. We're incomplete. We are incomplete without the love of Christ within us. And you might be thinking, I, I, I don't experience the love of Christ. I don't know the love of Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, here's the thing. The love of Christ, Christ's love, flows through us. If you're waiting around to receive it, to feel it for yourself, then I think you're missing the point. His love is self-emptying love. The love of Christ is self-giving love. That's what this love is. That's what agape love is. Self-giving, self-emptying love. If you are to authentically experience this love, you can't just be a recipient of it. You have to be an agent of it, a carrier of it. Because Christ's love flows through us for the sake of others, to genuinely experience the love of Christ is to give it away. To experience the love of Jesus is to pass it on. Remember our tree again, the evidence, the evidence of a transformed life is increasing in love for God and others. The evidence of being rooted and grounded in love is that it would show up. It would show up in our lives and through our lives. The Spirit empowers us, strengthens us to take our eyes off ourselves and to give ourselves generously for the sake of others in full confidence, in faith that we are held in the love of Christ. The experience and the evidence of this transforming love is both in its receiving and its in, in its giving. His love bearing fruit in my life and through my life. So here's a challenge. This week, in your daily practice, ask Jesus... Let me experience your love and see if he doesn't put you in a situation where you're the one doing the loving.
now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This inner strength life, this union life of love in Christ by his spirit, it is possible. In fact, it is inevitable. And the reason it is inevitable is because our God is able. He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think because it, is, because it is the power of creation. It is the power of salvation. It is the power of resurrection within each of us. Paul has had to make up a word here to describe just how immensely capable God is in achieving all he has planned, all he has promised since the beginning of creation. He is able. There's nothing that you have done there's nothing that you could do. There is nothing that you could think. There is no character flaw. There is nothing that can stand in the way of God achieving all he has planned. Glory to God. Glory to God in the church. Glory in Christ generation after generation forever and ever and ever. Next week... Kev will start to explore in chapter 4 what our lived response to this grounded life ought to look like. He'll, he'll look at the evidence. He'll look at the top of the tree. My encouragement is that for the next four or five weeks, whatever we've got left, as we shift to looking at the evidence of love, don't invert the tree. Without a revelation, without the revelation about who Jesus is, about what he has done, about where he resides, we will carry a deep temptation to try to get close to God, to try to please God through our own effort, through our own morality and through our own good works. We can try to manufacture fruitfulness in the belief that that's what gets us closer to God and that is precisely what Paul is praying against here. It is only from his deep strengthening by his spirit in and among and between us as we follow together, grounded in Jesus, that fruitful life and fruitful community quite naturally emerge. It's deep work. It's spirit work. It's his work. The spirit-grounded life is not a matter of willpower or morality or works or duty. This fully human life is grace. Grace through the faithfulness of Christ alone. Don't confuse fruits and roots. Don't invert the tree. I'm going to close praying Paul's prayer over us. Praying that we would receive this deep revelation of love in his church. And you can respond to this however you like. You might fall down on your knees. You might want to stand up. But I think that this is an important prayer. Let's pray.
Father, creator of everything in heaven and on earth, we pray that from your glorious unlimited resources, you will empower us with inner strength through your spirit. We pray that you, Christ, would would make your home in our hearts as we trust in you, that our roots will grow down deep into your love and keep us strong. We pray that we may have the power to understand, as all your people should, how wide, how long, how deep and how wide your love is. May we experience the love of Christ, though it is too great for us to understand fully, so that we would be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from you. Now all glory to you, our Father, who is able through your mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to you, Lord God, in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.